Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Good morning, Colonial Woods. Good to see you this morning. What a beautiful morning, by the way. Uh, how many of you are excited to be outside and uh, here today? Do that. We just, yeah, we're excited. It's good. It was a very scary thing. Once I started asking that question, I wanted to pull it back, and I didn't know how to, because some of you may not be excited, but we hope you are by the time today is over. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you take them and turn to two passages of Scripture, which I will admittedly tell you that we are not going to be able to cover conclusively. They are, they are great passages of Scripture, but what I want you to see is how they're tied together, and uh, in order to do so, we're going to do a fairly quick overview of each one as we get into 1 Samuel chapter 24, Psalm 35, and I want to show how they're connected events in the life of David. We've been in a series called It's Complicated. We're kind of rounding third base now. We're headed for home, and over the next week or two, we'll be finishing up this series. But I feel like I've been a little bit in a series within a series because the last three times that I've shared, including today, we've done a message on anger, and then we did a message on forgiveness. And forgiveness and anger really go hand in hand. Now, I, I really believe today is part three to a, a three-part message as we talk about attacked, dealing with the individuals in our life that seem as though they have just got it out for us. They, they attack us, and it can be in a relationship, it can be within a workplace, it can be probably within society, but I find the most often, as I was talking to a Sherry Aker earlier this morning, I said, for some reason, it seems like this conversation takes place a lot at Christmas time. In fact, I'll have individuals, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen between guys, but I'll have a lot of, of females talk to me about either when they're in relationship with their mom or vice versa, a, a mom toward their daughter. It just seems like those are the conversations I have a lot. But they just simply feel like every time you're together, they're, they're under attack. There is this, this attack that takes place. And today what I want to do is show how David dealt with attacks that kind of came out of nowhere in his life. Now, we could talk about Absalom, certainly, but we're going to focus in on David's relationship with his father-in-law, Saul. That's a very loose relationship, by the way. As we look at David under attack from King Saul. Now, if you study 1 Samuel, you'll notice that no less than seven times Saul tries to destroy and and take David out. Most of the time he does it, he does it with a spear, but he simply is trying to annihilate this guy. And the thing is, David really hadn't done anything to live up to that. 
In fact, David, David was a man who loved his king. He honored his king. He reasoned with his king. He ended up marrying his daughter at the request of the king. He was best friends with the king's son. He, he fought for the king. He protected the king. He kind of did everything he could to show a reverence for the king, and yet the king kept attacking him. It reminds me of something that I, I heard not long ago in a, uh, a consultation uh, within a leadership structure, and they were talking about office conflict that was taking place, and they mentioned the four levels of conflict, and he said, fortunately, it hasn't gotten to the bad levels of conflict, and he mentioned four different areas of conflict, and it, I thought it was really interesting because the four areas of conflict, and we could do a whole message just on this, is the first one is I disagree with you. Our opinions don't align. That happens all the time. It happens all the time within the church. It happens in our own staff. I, I just don't agree with you. But the second one is an escalation of it. It is, you know what? I don't just disagree with you. I don't like you. Because your opinion is a moral issue to me, and so we disagree on this. I, I really don't like you that much. Number three is, I don't only don't like you, I want you to lose. I mean, I want to win, but I actually want you to lose. I, I want to hurt you in this process. But the fourth level of, of conflict is where David found himself with Saul. And the fourth level of conflict is, I want to hurt you so badly that I'm willing to hurt myself in order to do it. This is an individual that is so obsessed with hurting someone that it's not enough simply to be right or to win. Saul won. I mean, he's king for goodness sake. But I want to hurt you so badly that I'm willing to hurt myself and even destroy myself. This happens in relationships. It happens in families. It happens in marriages, right? In a, in a divorce setting where it's, it's not just important for us to not be together. I want to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you so badly, even if it impacts us and the kids. I'm going to keep on after this. Uh, it can be in a business relationship. It can, be, it can be in all kinds of relationships. And I put down in my notes this, I just wrote it for myself. David was one who had every right to take revenge on Saul. The Lord had anointed him, David, and he had done nothing to deserve the shabby treatment that he was getting from Saul. He ministered to Saul. He defended Saul. He obeyed his orders. He'd done everything that Saul had asked of him. His reward, Saul hated him. Think about the times that you have been mistreated. If you had it in your hand to take them out, knowing you wouldn't be punished by anybody else or the Lord for it, what would you do? What's interesting is we look at that story, and we're going to find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Most scholars believe that chapter 24 of Samuel is, aligns itself with David's prayer in Psalm 35. There are a few that believe it could be regarding Absalom, but most, because of the verbiage, think it has to do with King Saul and specifically the event that takes place in chapter 24. Now, Saul has been after David. He has, he has been uh, kind of ruthless. Whether David has been in Jerusalem or if even when David said, okay, you know what, uh, this is not working for me. The spear in the wall thing next to my head, it isn't, it isn't what I'm looking for for a good time. I'm going to just simply leave. 
okay? I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to go. But it wasn't enough for Saul that he left. He needed him destroyed. His mere existence was too much for Saul to put up with. And so he pursued David, and he finds himself coming to David in chapter 24. Here's what it says. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all over Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master the Lord's anointed, or to lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. When David went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground, and he said, Saul, why do you listen when men say that David is bent on harming you? This very day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe. I did not, but I didn't kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty or wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. For as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. And we'll conclude our, our reading of the passage at that place. But you notice that when David is under attack, he begins to take certain actions. And it's interesting, it's inferred, it's noticed in ch uh, chapter 35 of the Psalms, but we see it throughout David's life. The very first thing that he did is he took his relational need to the God of relationships and trusted it. Now, if you pop over to Psalm 35, I want you to see the imagery of how David is praying. And this passage has become so powerful to me because David says, I'm not taking matters into my own hands. And he simply prays this in Psalm 35. Now, imagine that David is writing this either right before the events of 1 Samuel 24, or maybe right after the events. I'm guessing he wasn't in the cave writing it at the moment. So it came out of this experience. Look what he says. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend against me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up my shield and my buckler. 
Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I'm your salvation. Notice what he's saying here. Lord, contend for me and fight for me and be my protector and my shield, applying it into your own relationship, which may not be quite as toxic as this. Protect my own soul, my own heart, my own emotions. Pursue those who pursue me. Would you remind me that I am saved and affirm my heart that I am right with you? Verse 3. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net that they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their own ruin. Now, it's interesting. This may not seem like a very encouraging or even a very positive prayer, but I want you to see what is happening because David, I think sometimes when we go through these times of attack, we, we I don't want to diminish this, but we say, turn the other cheek, smile and wave. And we don't acknowledge the hurt that comes from these kinds of relationships. I can tell you I've had multiple conversations over the recent years, one happening at the holiday time, which often will happen, where a mom came to me and said, every time I'm in the presence of my daughter, she just absolutely destroys the way I feel about myself. I've had daughters say that about their moms. I've, I've had family settings where it's like every time I'm with them, it just simply, it makes me feel less of who I am. And not acknowledging that is so, it's really wrong emotionally. David says, I need you to do this for me. In fact, what's really interesting, he uses a phrase, and he uses a similar phrase in verse 19 of chapter 35. He says this, he says, um, uh, he says, let those who gloat over me, who are my enemies without cause, let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. He says four times in that prayer, they're doing this without cause. They're doing this without cause. They're doing this without reason. They're doing this without cause. And the inference from David is David has spent time looking at himself and evaluating, have I had a part in this problem? And it is always appropriate when we are in conflict, whether we feel like we are, whether we feel like we are innocent or not, to take time and to ask the Lord to do some introspection and to think through, is it possible that I've done some things that have actually made this situation worse. 
Now, I'm not saying take the blame, but it is always appropriate, Jesus says, that before you judge others, allow the Lord to do a little judging of your own soul. Before you pick the speck out of somebody else's eye, make sure you pull the plank out of your own eye. It is always consistent with the Lord to do some introspection and to say, okay, why is it they feel this way toward me? But he says, I did that. In fact, he, over, he does that a number of times through the Psalms. And in other passages, he says, hey, Lord, if I cause this, then I should get everything they're trying to do to me. So he's, he's kind of consistent with this thing. But he allows the Lord to do some introspection. And if he, if he has a problem with it, then, then what he needs to do is own it. And then he needs to confess it. He needs to seek forgiveness and even possibly restitution. But, but, but until that time, Lord... You need to take care of this. And I love what he does when he says, and Lord, let them fall into their own nets. Let them fall into their own traps. Lord, I am not asking an offensive against this person. All I'm asking is that when they throw a, something at me, I want, them to re I want it to ricochet and hit them. If they let off, so will the judgment of the Lord. If they, if, they, if, they, if they don't attack me, there'll be nothing that'll come back toward them. It's kind of this whole idea that, Lord, if they're going to set a trap for me, I, I ask that they would fall in their own traps. The, 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 actually, my brain, because it thinks this way, immediately thought of, and I think some of you will know what I'm talking about, the old uh, Looney Tunes cartoon, Roadrunner and Coyote. Do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Coyote was constantly going after, by the way, his name is Wild E. Coyote. Um, I, I did a little research today because I never understood why exactly he was just obsessed with killing uh, this roadrunner. Um, he constantly would set traps. He would buy dynamite from Acme. Dynamite, Acme made everything, you know. And, uh, and he would set these bombs, and the bombs would go off, and it would take him out. Um, he would throw boulders off uh, for Roadrunner and it would hit a twig and come up and it would land on him. Uh, he would put a, a, a noose or a, no, not a noose, a, a whatever, a rope and he would uh, tie it to a rocket ship so that he could trap Roadrunner and it would always catch his leg. He was constantly falling into his own traps. So in the interest of deep theological discussion, I decided to go and research this. I wish we had time for the video. I actually found the video where he explains why he is chasing Roadrunner. And uh, by the way, the reason is because you may not think, by the way, I am Wiley Coyote, IQ of 202, super genius. And in his own words, a roadrunner to the mouth of a coyote tastes like uh, caviar, champagne, and filet mignon to the human mouth. And he goes off and starts showing how it Yes, that's how my brain works. When I got a question, it has to be answered. And David says, man, Lord, I, uh, I have to trust you with this because, see, I can't. Well, number two, I'm not going to retaliate. I won't do it. I could. I'd be justified. But I'm not going to. 
Verse 6 says, He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men, and this is really important for you, and he did not allow them to attack Saul. So not only would he not retaliate, he wouldn't allow others to retaliate on his behalf. And don't tell me that at times you haven't been tempted to do that. I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to work in these other relationships in such a way that they will do the retaliation. In fact, what's interesting is that David not only refused to retaliate, he actually extended mercy to him. And mercy is, is never, it's never a, a, a right. Mercy is never something we deserve. And yet, he extended mercy to him, and he says the same thing during Psalm 35. In Psalm 35, when he prays in verse 12 and 14, he says, They repay me evil for good, and they leave my soul forlorn. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though my friend or my brother were dying. I bowed with my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. In other words, David said, David said, Lord, I mean, I, I've actually prayed for them and I've interceded for them and I have loved them and I have been earnest as I've, as I've come for them. And we see this very genuine act from David. This was not just a play that he was putting on so that others would think well of him. When nobody was looking, he was the man who was interceding for this relationship. Which brings me to number three. He just kept trying. And he kept trying. He kept reasoning. He kept defending. He kept ministering to Saul. He, did his, he was his best friend's son. He married his daughter. He honored him. He reasoned with him again. He spared him. He reasoned with him again. He just kept on trying, but it's interesting that in trying, you do notice he starts making some really important personal choices, which leads me to number four. Now, I want you to catch what's happening. He says, I'm going to go to the God of relationships, and I'm going to trust him to be my defender. I am going to choose not to retaliate or to allow others to do my retaliation for me. I'm going to keep trying in this relationship. Why? Because obviously this is a relationship. This is not somebody you're mad at on the road. This is not a casual relationship. These are important relationships to David, which leads him to number four, and I find this to be probably one of the most important things he protected his own soul through forgiveness. David understood that the real danger in this relationship with Saul is that he was going to become a Saul. Notice what he says in verse 12 and 13. In fact, if it's not already underlined, underline it. It says, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. 
but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Translation. Saul, I am not going to become you. And one of my deepest, deepest concerns for people is that what started off as someone else's attack of you becomes your problem now because you're becoming like them. My husband, my wife were this way for years and you know what? I'm going to start treating them the same way. My dad, my mom, they hurt me and you know what? It's time for me to hurt them. My children have hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. It, 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 what started off as somebody else's spiritual disobedience now has become ours. And it's damaging our own soul. I, I can't beg you enough. Forgiveness really is not about them. It is for your own spiritual victory. It is for your own peace. It is for your own rightness before God. By the way, you'll notice he didn't just let it go. I mean, he, he, he confronted Saul. He said, you have wronged me. You've tried to hurt me. And oh, by the way, God is going to get you from what you're doing. I, I mean, I, I love that he's not, he's not, how do I say this? He's not being, he's not being a wimp. He is strong, but he is in his strength and confrontation. He is still surrendering. Which leads me to the last one, number five. He offered reconciliation, but he still stayed at a safe distance. You're going to notice this as a pattern in David's life. A very similar situation happens in 1 Samuel 26. He does almost exactly the same thing. Saul realizes that he's wrong, and what Saul always does is, oh, David, you're incredible. Oh, God's going to reward you, and blah, 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 right? Because we've heard it all before. Sorry, but that's the way it comes across in this passage. And in verse 20, it says, I know that you will surely be king and that the king of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name or my family's or my name of my family. Saul is begging for David not to retaliate. What in the world in David's life ever made him think he was going to retaliate? He hadn't so far. But understand, that's how that's how people who aren't thinking correctly, that's how they think. But look what David does. So David gave his oath to Saul, 
Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went to the stronghold. So what happens here? David was willing to experience a measure of reconciliation, but he knew it wasn't good for him to be close to Saul. This is really rare. This is not every relationship. In fact, I will tell you, probably not even everybody has one of these relationships, but there are some relationships where you extend mercy and you try and you love, but until there is proof for a period of time, it's probably best not to be too near. And you can love someone without putting yourself back into the same situation. And you're saying, well, how much time should that be, Pastor? I don't know. I tend to think that the amount of time necessary is in direct correlation to the depth of the wounding that has taken place to your own heart. And I don't know what that is. They were reconciled. They were at peace. But David said, I don't think it's wise for me to live right next to you. Because in two chapters, Saul tried to do it again. Ultimately, David clung to one thing. Time vindicates the righteous. He says it in Psalm 35. He says it in 1 Samuel 24. Vindicate me, O Lord. Lord, time vindicates the righteous. I'm going to trust you to be my vindicator. I am not going to try to vindicate myself. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to refuse retaliation. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to protect my soul through forgiveness. I'll even keep my distance until such a time as either, Lord, this is repaired and health comes to it, or, Lord, you, you vindicate me. And so, Father, this morning we come before you. And I would guess that for some that are here this morning, there is a face, there is a situation, there's a relationship that almost immediately you, it began, it began to flood back in their life. I'm not going to try to guess what that is. Lord, you already know what it is. And I know this, Lord, I don't want to be a Saul. And so, Father, if there's someone that I'm upset with or if there's someone that I'm in conflict with and I'm finding myself really wanting to hurt them, I mean, not hurt them physically, but I'm wanting to 
I'm wanting to just literally hurt them in their, whatever it's at, Lord, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. And oh God, I give you that relationship and I ask that you would change my heart and my motives and the very nature of how I'm approaching it. But Father, some today are in one of those relationships and they feel like they're the David. Without cause. And so Lord, I'm, I'm going to just ask that you would give me strength and courage, but also a tenderness of heart that I might stay supple before you. That I might be the man or the, God, the, the woman of God that you want me to be. And Lord, I'm going to keep praying and keep trusting and keep trying that there might be relationship in the future. And I surrender that relationship to you this morning in Jesus' name. Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.